0: Hello and welcome to episode 358 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Dortmund's 3 1 win against FC Augsburg, the extra time win against SC Paderborn in the German Cup, and we will preview Saturday's match against SC Freiburg. For all that and more, joins me Matthias Hello, Matthias. I'm uh, very grateful that you were absolutely wrong, and Lars and I were completely right with our predictions for the Augsburg match. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. The sun is shining. Can't complain. And I too am very happy. You guys were right. and I was wrong, even though it didn't look like that for a while. If I'm perfectly honest, and uh, I'm again, I've, I'm not. Oh, I'm not very happy when I'm wrong. But there are moments where I'm very happy when I'm wrong, and this was definitely one of those.
0: So uh, the good news here is that we have another sponsor for this episode.
1: Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen.
0: And this episode is sponsored by Aldo Medina, who uh, wants to know about potential replacements for Jadon Sancho and uh, other wingers we may have in mind that could reinforce Dortmund on that position. And we'll uh, tackle that question a little bit later down the road. Um, if you want to sponsor an episode, uh, you can go to page.com slash the yellow for more information. In the meantime, Matthias, um, you were on the road to being right because Andre Hahn scored the opening goal between Dortmund and Augsburg 10 minutes into the game and uh, Dortmund, who at that point put in a lot of effort to go in front first, um, looked a little idiotic, I would even say, because uh, that goal fell fell rather easily. So um, why, Matthias, were you looking to be correct, 10-ish minutes into that game.
1: Well, it's just kind of, I, I felt like, you know, we were we were approaching Groundhog Day, um, <laughs> and I felt like I was in that absolutely fantastic Bill Murray movie, uh, where it's like, oh, you know, Dortmund are huffing and puffing, and it, it looks a lot like the Mainz game, where Dortmund is just the better team and doesn't get the reward for it, in fact, maybe even loses it. Um, that was just yeah, the defensively they were all over the place. The ball fell kindly for Andre Han. Um, he did a great job. It was a good finish. I mean, he still had plenty to do. a uh, little surprised, uh, and Uvomuyela said the same thing, why Akanji didn't come out and challenge him in that moment to shut down the shooting lane, uh, which probably which then tends to rush the shooter, but be that as it may, it happened. And then obviously missing a penalty and I was like ah oh, this well, can, is just can we
0: can we go back oh. to the goal because yeah uh first of all your your favorite guy right now, Rafael Guerrero, why is he running to the goal line to defend that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I saw him. I mean, I was just happy about the fact that he was even in the defensive third. I, I know. So uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, now he's he, there.
0: No, he's overcompensating after you harangued yeah. him so many times that he's just running as far back as he possibly yes. can.
1: <laughs> he was behind the goalkeeper, I think, positionally. Yes, on the he pitch. Was. Um, but it, I'm not going to blame him for that one. I mean, no, uh, the, I the, mean, yes. sh- the the ball should partially the situ- blame. Partially a, he was out of the position where he should yes. have been.
0: So was Again. Giovanni Reina. Hello. Yes. Good morning. You have someone to to mark there. And this I, I was a bit irritated by and analysis. Yes, Akanji should have closed down the shooting lane, but uh he was sort of the, the last
1: It shouldn't have even gone that far.
0: Yeah, he was sort of the last thing in the chain of errors that preceded it. I mean uh uh we 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 have to talk about Moray and how easily overrun his right side is right now. Uh, positionally, positionally, uh, at right back uh, in the defensive department, he's not covering himself in glory. Uh, there he's bad. Were, yeah, there, there were similar moments in um in the uh, Paderborn game, mm-hmm. which also not great. And uh, yeah, Gio Reyna um needs to. Pay a little bit more attention. And, uh, I've talked about this with, uh, my good friend Abel Messeros, who pointed out that during the Leipzig game, basically, uh, that, uh, there was a lot of, uh, micromanagement of Giorena, that, uh, like a lot of in game coaching, uh, is sort of spent on, on him to sort of, uh, advise him and, uh, direct him into the position and the behavior he needs to show and not show. So, um, yeah, uh, massive. Uh, room for improvement I would say Um, now the sad part is obviously Matthias that it was in fact not Groundhog Day because if you've seen the movie uh, the same thing happens over and over again until it doesn't and that's because the Bill character learns (laughs) and Dortmund do not distinctly do that so um, but the good news is but they did yeah, but but okay. but there was some improvement. At least they did up winning this game. So Matthias, um, first of all, uh, should Erling Haaland take the next penalty? I think there was a question about that uh, at today's news conference before the Freiburg match because uh, after Royce missed one, now Haaland missed one. Um, I'm I'm very glad that uh, we wouldn't have another second Real Madrid missing goal scene as uh, Dortmund had in the Champions League many decades ago where they just uh, the 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 goal frame just fell uh and Haaland struck that one with lots of energy um but as i said he clanked the bar so matthias who's who's the next to uh, to to strike penalties are we going back to Royce or uh because tesic no be had... <laughs> oh god please <laughs> uh, because uh Tessic, i think said there's a clear protocol for that but yeah. uh I'm not into enti- like, the, the clear protocol apparently is who, who feels most up for it, uh, which is, in my mind, not a clear protocol, but uh, please be my guest.
1: I think it has to be, on the whole, it has to be Marco Royce. I mean, Holland, I think that was the second penalty, and he's made one, missed one. It's not a good percentage. Um, just as soon, let Marco Royce do it, because Holland... Um, I feel is always going to try to break the goalkeeper <laughs> with his shooting. Uh, whereas Marco Reus will try to place the ball, which occasionally does help. Um, and the 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 game you reference against Real Madrid, I know that one very well. But the uh, you know I'm old, so we already talked about that many times. Um, yeah, it, it was just funny because I remember when Marco Reus missed that penalty and twitter exploded with why is he taking it can we finally get holland 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 and holland steps up and misses um so yeah i just assume i mean i i don't know i don't care i wouldn't do uh Jaden sancho because he'll probably i would hesitate too long no i don't know i he's a good penalty taker yeah, I don't know. I just assume that Marco Royce do it. And at the end of the day, I'll be honest, I just don't care enough. Uh, I remember very distinctly the season. Uh, that's why I said Nuri Shahin, where Dortmund <laughs> couldn't buy a penalty that they could score. But I do believe that was a title winning season, Yeah, if my memory serves me correctly. That's correct. Was it the double season? I think
0: that's the that was the first championship. The first one, yeah. Because then Noi Shine left.
1: Yes. So at the end of the day, I don't care. Um, I I don't care. You know, it's not. It shouldn't come down to that necessarily, in a match where Dalton were the better team. But it was, you know, it just when they missed when the penalty got missed. I'm like, oh god, oh god, it's gonna be one of those games. But thankfully, Stefan. They dusted themselves off and they continued with their game plan. They didn't alter it. They didn't get flustered. They didn't get frustrated. The body language was significantly better. It's like they just kept on going. And it helps that Jaden Sancho and Julian Brandt are in very good form right now. Very good form.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know what also helps? That... uh, Cell pieces were an element, but this time not for Dortmund. Can you imagine? <laughs> it was the great one and only Thomas Delaney, who uh, for many were uh, or is arguably the man of the match, uh, yep. who, who uh, scored the first goal after 26 minutes. Uh, it was sort of a shoulder header thingy, but uh, it went into the net, and I think that was sort of the key to the game, especially since it was only like 15 minutes after. Augsburg scored and even more importantly just five minutes or so after the penalty um which I have to say was a bit unfortunate of a of a handball I, I actually didn't see it until the VAR sort of halted the play um so yeah uh v- very interesting um that that Dortmund managed to find Thomas Delaney and uh yeah with with that you know you, you could really see that Augsburg didn't really have too many uh answers and i think that's the most positive takeaway from just this game that um other than the goal that Oxburgh scored um they didn't really create too many dangerous moments and we'll talk about the paderborn game in a second and uh there's quite the contrast i mean you you have uh a couple of, uh chances very late in the game i mean i think Kelly jury had uh, a header like in stoppage time and uh Grezo had a shot and, uh, but, but otherwise, um, not really much. I think that the total amount of shots was six and they only had one on target really. So, um, if, if you really talk about uh, how the game went, I think the, uh, goal by Hahn was pretty much against the run of play. And then, uh, yeah, Dortmund, uh, turning it around, uh, Almost felt inevitable if you uh, think think about it. Now, what what I find really interesting now is that uh, Dortmund have been harangued for uh, their lack of chance conversion and uh, missing a penalty sort of plays into that narrative. But otherwise, I thought um, Dortmund uh, in this game didn't create too many uh, high level chances, but uh, the ones they did create, they they scored. And uh, I think the Jayden Central goal in the sixty third minute uh epitomizes uh, that jaden sancho is pretty much uh, back to form right uh, you you already mentioned it but uh, this was a very jaden sancho goal to to score first of all the uh, the lob or the pass whatever you want to call it by giru into his path was pretty dang good and then uh, it's it's quite uncommon for an augsburg team that very often had up to eight or nine men in the box at one given moment um, that they would just be completely outpaced by Sancho, who had the ball at his feet, and then uh yeah took it accidentally, just uh you know sort of almost passed it into the uh, far corner uh past the uh, the keeper, I think it's Gikovic so um yeah i'm I'm very happy with that goal and that form overall, milias uh we have spent a lot of time on this podcast worrying about the form of the young Englishman, but uh, Now um, he has turned it around, and with that, Dortmund uh, can uh, rip off the 50% of price tag (laughs) because he is uh, more or less back to his uh, old form.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was worried there for a little bit. You know, obviously, when he had that big dip in the first half of the season and it was looking like, okay, someone we should have sold him in the summer for 80, 90 million because there's no way you're going to get 100 and 120 million. Um, now he's back to his, his best self. I mean, it's kind of along those, those lines of, you know, form is temporary, class is timeless, kind of a scenario with him. And given that the, you know, most rumored landing place for him, Manchester United are, are competing for a Premier League title the fact that Liverpool are struggling and he's definitely a player that can help them. I think um, th- this definitely helps the market value for him heading into next summer. But for right now, he's still a Dalton player and thankfully so because uh, he's also working uh, in in defensive sense. He's pressing. He is more pressing resistant. I mean, He's, I mean, there's no question that he's a better player than Gio Reyna at this point. Uh, and I don't think that's a that's a fair comparison, but he's definitely <laughs> more reliable. I, you know, Julian Brandt is more reliable. I'll be honest, Marco Reus is more reliable at this point than Gio Reyna, who who you talked about before. And the fact that he's being micromanaged um, isn't overly surprising for a player his age, but it is concerning because obviously... Sancho, Royce, Brandt, uh, Azard when he comes back, they're not going to micromanage coach him uh, because they don't have to. Those are complete players in that sense. So it's good that Dortmund do have him now for this season. Uh, in retrospect, double retrospect, good <laughs> not to sell him, keep it around, sell him for the full price in the summer. And then uh, because he probably will leave. I don't think he's going to yes. stick around, but I would say he single-handedly uh did not single handed that's not fair he did an incredibly good job in this match he did a good job again uh really in the last few matches i mean he has been the most consistently good player along with thomas delaney the danish dynamite that we have in central midfield
0: yeah yeah uh but what we want on central subject uh real quick do you Uh, Do you have any names for me and uh, more more importantly for Aldo Medina who has asked for uh, some good transfer hints of uh, players that Dortmund could sign uh, for the wing to replace Sancho in in the summer? And I know it's a tough question, especially during a pandemic where um, I personally uh, have even less motivation to watch football than I already have. So uh I'm I'm not really out there quote unquote scouting so Matthias, uh since you have nothing else going on in your life do <laughs> do you have any obvious yeah but do you have any <laughs> obvious names because obviously um, Dortmund have been linked with Depay and uh what
1: Yes uh I would not want Memphis Depay I'll be perfectly honest I think his Uh, work ethic and attitude is a big, big, big question mark for me. Um, I had the name on the tip of my tongue and then it left me, um, he, he tore Dortmund apart just recently for Bayer Leverkusen. So D.A.B. D.A.B. Uh, thank you. That, if, if I would have to pick someone based on recent performances and watching them, even for a side that is struggling for form now like Levakuzin, I think he would be a fantastic player to bring in who's a more complete player, who's ready to jump in because yes, don't want to have a decent amount of wingers. Let's be honest. They have players that can play in those positions. I think actually, uh Mukoko could do a pretty decent job in there if you wanted him on the pitch at the same time as Holland, given his pace, dribbling, pressing, etc. So, um but Tog Nazad, you know, he's had some injury issues. Royce is not getting younger, as we know. Gio Reyna is just flat out not there yet. I'm sorry, U.S. soccer fan. I'm going to get so much hate again for that Uh because whenever I doubt Gio Reyna, it's, you know, people attack me and think I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. And it's a fact. You know, Gio Reyna is not a complete player at his age. Go, you know, shocking. And that's why when I said, you know, his future needs to be thought about, that when I said that I didn't mean that he needs to leave. It's just Dortmund has to really analyze. Can he be the player they want him to be? Cause at this point he's not. Um, but that's okay for his age. Um, now Diaby is the one that really jumps to mind. He understands the Bundesliga. He at least, uh, can, uh, you know, I don't know if he speaks German or not. I don't, know him well enough, but he's in Germany. He understands the pace of the game. He understands the nature of the game. He understands pressing, because he is playing for Peter Bosch at Leverkusen. So for me, he could be a pretty good one that also won't break the bank. He won't be cheap, um, but we're not looking at someone that's probably going to cost 50-60 million. So that, that would be one that I would be quite happy to see. Uh especially because other wing wing oriented players that could play there that could also play up top like a a Pléa or a a turam I just don't see them going to Dortmund unless a certain manager goes to Dortmund so <laughs> um. That barring that, uh, I would be all in for DRB, personally. Well, I I, I think
0: I think uh, there's also uh, a shot to, or a case to make for Dortmund just tr- trusting in the uh, work of their chief scout Sven Mislintat and take a look at Nicolas Gonzalez or Silas uh, Wamangi Tuka from uh, VfB Schuttgart, who especially in the of, uh especially Wamangi Tuka right now, I think he's just tearing up the Bundesliga and he's a uh, He's a right winger, even though he's playing a bit more centrally right now, but it's pretty similar to what Jane Sancho is, a different player, Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Gonzalez as well, Um, but uh, what those guys have uh, going for them is that they're very fast. I don't know if it's Dortmund level quite yet, but... um, you know, if 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 you look at, at players that are up and coming, that are still relatively young. I mean, Wamangi uh, Tutka is 21 years old, and uh, Gonzalez is 22 years old. Um, and I think they they would be in an affordable price range. Um, and I mean, for Pischutka, don't have too many arguments. Uh, to be entirely uh, honest, when Dortmund uh, waived the big checks, then uh, yeah. This this could be uh, something that Dortmund look at. Also, um, you know, obviously that would be heartbreaking for Schilker because right now you feel like something is growing there, especially with uh, Pellegrino Materazzo, who's someone uh, Dortmund could also look at um, if uh, the things with uh, Marco Rose fall through. But, um, I mean, he has a contract till 2022. Um, so... Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, these these would be, I think, some interesting options from within the Bundesliga right now. Um, but I'm not entirely sure what uh, Michael Zorc has planned, whether he goes for a big name, whether he tries to nurture yet another talent. And, um, I mean, you just talked about Gio Reyna, and I think you're absolutely right in the sense that he is... Uh, very inconsistent right now but he has also shown in the past that uh he uh he can have really uh, you know he has a really high ceiling and Dortmund can obviously trust on him to take another step and it would be a bit like uh, when Pulisic left that you then throw Sancho in the mix or or rather when uh Dembele left uh and so on and so forth so um I don't I don't know but uh I think we will discuss that subject a little, bo- a little bit more in depth in the future because Dortmund really do need to be very busy on the transfer market. And I think we will have a lot of uh, discussions about future Dortmund, especially uh, since present Dortmund, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to talk about Dortmund, but uh, not as interesting as it should be since... Uh, The title race is pretty much already over and you have the cup season going on and obviously there's the Champions League tie against Sevilla, but in the current form uh, how Dortmund are presenting themselves, I'm not entirely confident that they will prevail in in that matchup. So we will see, but uh, Matthias, uh, I sort of interrupted you from uh, your uh, heaping praise on Thomas Delaney, which obviously I no longer want to uh, stop you from because he played very well.
1: Yes, and, and I'm very happy to point out the fact that I was a Delaney fan from the moment he got to Dortmund. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean that honestly. Um, he give, Because remember before he came, I, I sometimes made the offhand remark, you know, occasionally you just need a player that goes down there and kicks someone. And Dortmund, when Sven Bender left, um, and really his last season where he was injured so much, Dortmund lost a lot of that. And you you need that kind of person, that dynamic player, the guy who can get stuck in. Yes, Emile Can can do that. Well, I, you, ideally you don't have in a double pivot two of those players. <laughs> um, but Delaney, he does it... I sometimes feel like he has a little more control um, of his emotions, at least, than Emre Chan does on occasion. Uh, sometimes I feel like Emre Can can talk himself into a booking, whereas Delaney can kick himself into a booking. If I'm going to pick one of the other ones, then definitely the physical one. But he's beyond that. He's not just kind of that midfield dynamo, box-to-box guy, full of energy, gets stuck in. Because he's not a big guy. I mean, he's not physically imposing. But he does the work that frees up a more creative player next to him, say like a Brandt or a Dahoud or whoever, to be able to play their type of game more. And then on top of that, He is a threat from set pieces, despite the fact that he's not overly tall. I mean, he's not huge, but uh, given his his work rate and, um, you know, he just never gives up. He's one of those players you desperately need in the side, because otherwise, if you would have 11 Guerreros, um, I'm sorry to say this. You would be losing more because he just gets down on himself and Delaney that just never enters his mind. Um, yes, obviously he's made mistakes. Every player does, but overall they're pretty minimal. Um, and he's also one of those guys. That's why I love seeing him or Chan play because if a fullback decides to not do their job or a central defender decides, I'm going to try to pick off a pass, but runs completely out of position, a Delaney or a Chan somehow still pop up and make a deciding tackle that saves Dortmund's bacon. Ideally, you don't have that happen, but you know we can't we can't have everything, Stefan. No, so, especially um, this season, I feel
0: like the, yes. the fullback slash wingback situation is quite
1: problematic. Problematic. I mean, it's it's that's why I said Dortmund need to replace both fullback positions yeah i didn't say get rid of guerrero uh, <laughs> but i did say replace both fullback positions
0: no no definitely you don't have to get rid of Ke- guerrero but maybe uh see if there's a warranty tag on nico schultz maybe um, <laughs> i saw today that uh, inter on in a bit of financial trouble maybe uh, we can get some hakimiga on a cheap <laughs> um, but no um, in all honesty what I liked about uh, Delaney in this game is that he managed to get away with a couple of tactical faults um, in general I think Dortmund did this quite cleverly Augsburg got the ball but then uh, some somehow miraculously there was a sniper and they just fell down uh, before they crossed the halfway line and uh, that sort of helped Dortmund to disrupt Augsburg's game which was pretty much uh, yeah, just uh, trying to hit Dortmund on a transition and Dortmund disallowed that and Idin uh, said it uh, again today before Freiburg because they are a big uh, threat on set pieces that you sort of commit the fouls far far away from your own penalty area and against Augsburg at least Dortmund did this pretty well so um, I'm very happy with that and uh, another thing I wanted to say after we gave Terzic, I think, justifiably a lot of uh, crap for his uh, sometimes uh, brain-dead substitutions, uh, this time bringing on Bellingham for Brandt in the 75th minute, albeit maybe 10 minutes too late in my view. um, It was a good substitution. Bellingham immediately uh, was involved in... uh, setting up the goal that uh Uruk-hai then scored uh, on behalf of Erling Haaland because uh, I think I don't know if it was a shot or a cross into the box doesn't matter because the ball in the end was in the net um but Bellingham I think won the ball and quickly played it forward and uh, there there was a period of say 10 15 minutes maybe even longer um where especially Julian Brandt invited Augsburg a little bit back into the game because he sort of lost orientation sometimes where his own teammates were and where opponents were and just played very uh, some, some really weird passes that uh, a player in his very central and uh, vital role should never play. And uh, he was also just very easily robbed of the ball where he just tried to turn around on the ball and, uh oh, <laughs> I'm in triple coverage, how could that happen? Uh, and uh, then, yeah, gets his pocket picked. I don't know, sometimes he has these phases and and then it's a very good uh, <laughs> circumstance when you have a Jude Belling- Bellingham up your sleeve that he can just play and he immediately makes a big impact because Jude Bellingham, and uh, I would like to praise Brandt for his first half performance, but Jude Bellingham just uh, brings a whole other edge to the game. Uh, it's like Julian Brandt is... is uh, you know a very creative player but then all of a sudden you you bring someone who who brings a sharp blade and uh, even though he's just 17 he gets really stuck in and uh, for midfielders especially central midfielders of the opposing team that's usually a big shift you know you don't even need to make a tactical adjustment to completely transform Dortmund's game in midfield with uh, switching Bellingham for Brandt and it was immediately felt as uh, the goal just uh, adds to that narrative right now, but uh, yeah, overall, I'm I'm very glad with it, and obviously, um, bringing Pischek on for Morel. is also a good uh, move because uh, Morel was really not that great. Uh, but then, yeah, bringing on Schulz for for Guerrero, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good sub because you do need uh, to give Guerrero a rest at some point. And then, Matthias, something miraculously happened. Mahmoud Dahoud. It's like seeing a unicorn sparkle in the distance. Made the appearance in the 84th minute for Marco Royce. Matthias, uh what do you make of the return of the the Hoot?
1: Well, I mean, fine. You know, I mean it was it was at the <laughs> uh end of a game that, that was clearly won, uh, because Augsburg just didn't really try that much. I was a little disappointed in them, to be honest. And then, um, you know, he came on uh in the next match as well, and I actually thought played pretty well <laughs> i mean, he that's the weird thing with him this season as everybody knows, I've been slightly critical of Mahmoud ahout um mainly because I expected a lot from him, and that's probably unfair I mean, uh judging on what he did at Gladbach when he was very young, I thought, wow, this could be a nuan type player and he shows moments like that. But he's not that. Ilkay Gunuan, I've come to realize, is a generational talent. Um <laughs> and that's just a fact. Not that's
0: easily replaced. No, it's, Sadly, it's impossible it to replace.
1: Impossible because when he basically replaced Nuri Shahin and upgraded the position, which at that time when he came, no one would have It seems suggested inconceivable. That. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um he is Probably one of the maybe even the best player for Germany right now, um so that you know put a lot of pressure on Dahoud. he didn't perform well when he did play, but this season, I thought overall he's played very well, and then all of a sudden the door shut on him, and this is through multiple coaches in multiple systems. And obviously, like I have said before, there has to be something there that we from the outside are not privy to as to why Tahoot does not get consistent game time. Because this season for once, it's not because he hasn't been playing well. He's actually overall been playing quite well. Um, and so there's just something else going on there. I I wish for him and for Dortmund that whatever that something else is gets resolved, one way or another. Uh, whether that means he gets past it and features and builds upon the season he's had when he has played, or you just sell him. I think that's th- those are your two options at this point. Um him for
0: Neuhaus. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, why not? Um, but... <laughs> it's great to see that he's back. It's good to see that he actually put in a good performance again and hopefully they can build upon it because fixture congestion is only getting worse now so Dortmund definitely need him to play.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there are not too many midfielders that can play that killer ball that, Mah- that Mahmoud Dahoud plays. Um, even Julian Brandt sometimes struggles with that and uh, I think sometimes Brand, especially when he plays in a central position, he still hesitates too long. Um it's very unnerving because, you know, these these are basically the the, the moment where you can play the through ball between the the uh, fullback and the center back channel or something like that. Um these are sort of just uh snapshot moments and if you think like a millisecond or take another touch too long then the, the chance is often gone. You know, it needs to be tied to perfection. And what I like about Dahoud is that he often does not uh, hesitate. But uh, I I just remembered almost like an imaginary highlight reel of Mahmoud Dahoud doing exactly that. So I retract exactly everything I just said. But uh, at least in the Paderborn game, I thought he, he played well. He played a lot of uh, progressive passes when he played and... Uh, That is obviously positive because Dortmund, I think, especially with Witzel being out, uh, need to rotate on that position and especially without um, a loss of quality. So having him in good form helps, especially uh, next to Bellingham, who I think has uh, overcome his valley of form. And Delaney right now is uh, playing pretty much at the top of his game. But the problem is obviously... uh, with the physicality, and you just likened him to Sven Bender, is that uh, an injury is always around the corner. Uh, same with Emre Can. So um, it's it's good to have him uh, in in the squad. So I'm always happy if he gets a bit more game time. And uh, Tessic, I think, today revealed also that had the game gone a bit differently, aka Dortmund made scored the third goal um, against Paderborn, then uh, we probably would have seen uh, Hainier or Mokuku or Tiggis or someone else. But, uh, yeah, that was not to be so, Matthias, um, a very interesting game, obviously, uh, after 15 minutes, uh, Dortmund had scored in the form of Emre can, absolutely uh, lashing the net with, uh, a fireball from, I think, six or seven yards out, um, after another set piece, so I think we can mark this down as a set piece goal, and then, uh, Erling Haaland set up Jade Sancho beautifully, uh, and Sancho, yeah, uh, just uh, slotted away, um, which Haaland, I think, a couple of moments later could not do. So um, we've already talked about Sancho being back to form. I think that uh, confirms it yet another time. Now, um, what happened after the 20 minutes and everyone kicking back, relaxing and thinking, ah, this is going to be a nice uh, dropping of a mediocre second Bundesliga side Paderborn in the a- in a home game, and you would think that the I think seven to one or something would probably repeat itself or something similar. So, uh, what happened there, Matthias?
1: Well, when you're playing against a team that uh, has a coach like Stefan Baumgart, uh, not Baumgartlinger, um, who likes to play an aggressive style of football, who will not allow his team to ever. Take it easier, calm down. Um, you are opening the door for them to come back, and especially if you don't use the chances you have. I mean, based over the full <laughs> ninety-plus minutes of football, Dortmund definitely were the deserved winner. But you can't let that happen. I mean, it just it's it's frustrating because my opinion. Okay, I remember, if, if we do another analogy in American football, um, people complaining about the Patriots or Alabama running up the score, and my opinion was always, then stop them. There's no reason why you should not throttle Parabon and end this thing after 45 minutes. Punish them, score four or five goals, and then it's done. Then you'll have broken their spirit and they just won't come back. There's no chance. But if you don't do that, if you don't have that killer instinct, like a Bayern does have, they'll just keep scoring. Ask Schalke. Um, you, you allow something like that to come and you, you become lax. You become uh, overconfident and complacent. And to then switch that back to a high level of uh, focus, concentration, intensity is very, very hard. I mean, I know how it is for me. If I get my day going and I'm working really hard and then I just kind of chill and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of tired. To then find the motivation again is really difficult. And it's no different in 90 minutes of football when you're not even dealing with just being tired and not wanting to, but there's an opponent who definitely wants to prove that they're there for a reason. So uh, it was entirely aggravating that uh, that level of arrogant complacency uh, was allowed to creep in. And I don't know, Stefan, another term to use other than arrogant complacency.
0: (laughs) I I think I tweeted – out pathetic at some point um but the problem is um if if i'm uh, not a twitter reactionary what i would say otherwise is that um a um dortmund didn't all of a sudden stop playing football uh i mean yes they became more and more complacent i think uh that sort of steadily happened but at the same time it's not like um after the tunnel they were entirely garbage
1: and no uh, no we've we've seen those games. Yes, we've seen We've seen those off. games.
0: So 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 there are obviously several shades of grey here. And uh for um a Dortmund performance, a midweek performance um uh a- a- against uh this Paderborn team um it it could have been far worse. Now what I should have mentioned at the outset is obviously that uh Tessic did make four changes. We had uh, Piszczek, Schultz, John, and Bellingham uh, replace Hummels, Guerrero, Reiner and Reus. And then with that, we had a switch to a back three uh, because Hummels was out with uh, knee problems and uh, Akanji and Can uh, John then formed the uh, back three and we had Schultz and Moray acting as full- fullbacks. So um, this is this is probably a formation or a setup you probably only can play against spider because I do not have much confidence in Nico Schultz and this game sadly uh, underlined it and uh, Moray in the 45 minutes he did play uh, also did, uh, did very little to, uh, to change my opinion on him and uh, Felix Paslak in the second half also didn't really uh, cover himself in glory especially uh, by causing that... Uh, you know this this uh, penalty which was a, a very unnecessary pe- penalty but it was the correct call unfortunately um but yeah Pascal just a little uh i don't know too exuberant there a uh, bit bit too committed bit uh, i don't know it, 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 in in germany we would just call it ungeschickt i guess but yeah it, it 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 was very clumsy with 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 that then you obviously do not have the greatest build up play but uh, Dortmund did create uh, several counterattacking opportunities as one expect, because Paderborn were very aggressive and uh, I was hoping for Dortmund to kill the game off even sooner. I mean, the, the tunnel already was a counterattack. Um, but the, the one thing that is almost unnerving is that Dortmund just couldn't finish off all the other counterattacks they had. And the problem is that um, these are very hard to train because... How many routines can you do of of counterattacks where you are in full sprint and finish something off? Um, It's something uh, that's uh, obviously down to timing and sometimes you do better and sometimes you do worse. And then this game, unfortunately, Dortmund uh, didn't do so well. Um, And also, at the same time, I want to say kudos to Paderborn because uh, there were moments in the first half, especially uh, where they pressed Dortmund so high that uh, all that Dortmund did do uh is pass it back to Hits and he would just launch it forward and uh then obviously uh Paderborn would uh claim that long ball and then uh attack anew and uh attack they did because uh they created a lot of really high percentage chances and uh Marvin Hits had to make a lot of really good saves um Matthias uh, you, you you told me you, you watched or rewatched the highlights uh today or or, or the other day um there were a lot of saves but um when we talk about the goal uh the the first one that Paderborn scored I, I still think that uh Hits could have done way better there and there were oh, also yeah. there were also a couple of moments um uh where his uh attempted clearance like punch clearance or whatever it was uh, I hope I'm not mixing it up with the Oxbrook game now um but um I think for people trying to argue that uh Uh, he's a better alternative to Roman Bürki right now. I see the points that are being made, but I'm also not entirely convinced uh, looking at what what Marvin Hitz has to offer right now. Um,
1: Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I I, I find that entire discussion stupid, uh, (laughs) if I'm perfectly honest. Is Roman Bürki an elite goalkeeper? No, obviously not. He is... An extreme form of confidence keeper. When his confidence is high, he's one of the best in the Bundesliga. You know, I mean, he's had a few seasons where his confidence was high and he was absolutely fantastic. You know, one of the top three keepers in the Bundesliga, unquestionably. Uh, Obviously, the season of the two Petas, uh, he was not. But then again, nobody was. This season, he is not. Then again, nobody was. Uh, or is. And I think that's the pattern right there. Um You have someone say, in a Manuel Neuer, Manuel Neuer is going to... Huh, he plays well for Germany, even though the rest of Germany is shit. Okay? That's the big difference there. Um Marvin Hitz is a very good Bundesliga backup keeper. Arguably Do- the best one. Arguably the best one. Um You know, maybe Sven Ulreich was giving him a run for his money before he went uh, to Hamburg. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if Hitz is out, uh, sorry, if Pirki is out, Hitz comes in, it's not as dramatic a drop in quality as we've had in the past. I mean, hell, I remember the days of Stefan Klos and Teddy De Bea. I mean, if Stefan Klos didn't play, it was like, oh, boy. Uh, And Teddy De Bea is an absolute club legend, but he was not a great keeper. Um, Marvin Hitz is not as good as Roman Bürki. That discussion is completely asinine, in my opinion. Um, You know, Bürki... No, Jan Zoma is the best Swiss keeper, and then it's Bürki. And Marvin Hitz isn't even in the discussion, nor should he be. Um, you, You talk about... Felix Paslak, who I always call the Energizer Bunny, because he always goes, 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 and that's how he plays. And then he makes clumsy mistakes like that. Marvin Hits is kind of the same way. He he's not he's not very graceful in goal. Um, he does the job. He does it well. Is he Dortmund's starting keeper? Please stop. I mean, just stop with that already. Do I believe Dortmund need to upgrade the keeper position? Yes. Do I believe Roman Bürki is having, a, for him, bad season? Yes. Do I think Roman Bürki gets way too micro criticized? Yes. More so than a lot of other keepers. Um, but the whole hits starting above Bürki. I'm sorry. I, in my opinion, that's that. That would be. A bad mistake, and that's not where the blame of issues with Dortmund lie personally. I mean, <laughs> you, you almost said it. I mean, he gets
0: microanalyzed, but uh, maybe it sounds silly to say, but I think the goalkeeper position is absolutely a legacy position in Dortmund in the sense that um, we had Stefan Klos there, we had uh, Eike Immel there, we had uh, Jens Lehmann,
1: Roman Weidenfeller. You know, I mean, four amazing keepers, legendary keepers. But it even goes beyond that. Like you said, Dortmund's legacy. We can't even forget two of the most legendary keepers, Hans Tilkowski, and Heinz Kwiatkowski. I mean, one was a World Cup champion in 1954. The other one was the German Germany keeper in the 1960s. So, like you said, I mean, you want to talk about a legacy position in a club that is known for having top goalkeepers? Dortmund is it in in with Bayern you would arguably say those are the two big ones for that. And then, I mean, I guess maybe Köln. But really, uh, Dortmund and Bayern are the two producers of the best German keepers over the last 50 years. Yeah,
0: and Schalke, of course. <laughs> you, yeah, but they
1: never keep them, so they don't count.
0: Yeah, it's kind of kind of weird if you don't keep your keepers. Um, but that's a, that's a subject for another podcast, Matthias. Um, but yeah, I mean... It's it's a real problem for for Roman Bürki but if you look at the statistics um this season you know his save percentage isn't great he has yet to save a single Bundesliga penalty um and obviously his decision making in and around the, the box especially when he needs to to leave his goal um they're not great um I I feel like it's it's very often that uh, opposing goalkeepers are off the line much quicker than Roman Bürki and for the same uh Aspect Marvin hits. I don't know if that comes down to the, uh, goalkeeper, um, coaching style that Dortmund have. If, uh, there's a reluctance just, uh, by, by the tactic or whether they just, they just misjudge certain situations. Um, I don't know, but, uh, I think we, we can talk about in the next few weeks about the, uh, several names that Dortmund are linked with. I mean, they are linked with, uh, players like Onana or, uh, other ones, but, uh, I don't I don't wanna extend this uh ad absurdum right now, especially since we we still have a couple of controversial moments to talk about. So um I think the uh 3-1 that got turned into a two-two isn't all that controversial, uh because the uh the foul bypasser clearly was a foul and uh, you know, there's not much debate there. He clearly kicked the defender. But then Matthias, um Dortmund did win this uh, 3-2 in the end and of course uh, that happened in extra time uh, with a goal where I thought it was going to be ruled out because Erling Haaland clearly was offside at the the time Thomas Delaney played that pass which I don't think really was directed at Haaland but um, in the end after I don't know five six seven minutes I don't even know how how long it took Uh, for the video referee to review this situation. The goal stood... um, Matthias, um, now, before I explain what happened and and why it did stand, I just want to rant for a tiny second about the fact that me watching this on ESPN3, I think, um, in real time had zero clue what was going on and uh, what exactly they were looking at. I thought they were just checking the offside, and I thought, okay... Um, this is a pretty clear case and uh, then the goal stood and to me Haaland did look offside and I thought okay maybe he was onside and the angle is just weird for me and they have a better view but uh, the 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 problem is before you even learn what happened is that the DFB is doing a, a really poor job with the VAR and how it translates. You know people always say oh it's made for a TV audience or people in the stadium are uh, left out even further. But what really annoys me is that uh, it's really not made for a TV audience right now because all you see uh, at best is just players standing around and looking at each other while uh, maybe the referee looks at it. So I I don't understand in the time of Twitch and Discord and whatnot where you can easily share a screen or even Slack and all these apps that uh, the DFL in this in this case... Uh, cannot for some reason muster to share their screens of the VAR, and I would even go as far as share the sound as well. I want to hear what the referees is talking about, and uh, that you can, as a as a spectator of the game, really understand what they're looking at, especially when when things are getting com- complex and complicated, because that would help so much, and especially if the referee then himself explains the rule afterwards. Uh, as is, it's happening for I don't know a decade or however long it's going on in, in the NFL.
1: Um, you clearly that have- that's been going on my entire life. Yeah. See. So I mean, and that's 150 years. So, <laughs> uh, and and I mean, I I completely agree with you, Stefan. Um, you know, the NFL does it well. I love watching rugby union, um, and. There, there's full transparency, you know, at all times, what the referee is thinking and what they are communicating and how they're communicating what the rule thing is. It's not even that they go there and they explain to the crowd, this is what we did now, like you do in American football. But no, they're just mic'd and you hear them in conversation, and they're telling the players what's going on. It's absolutely possible to do it. Now, a lot of players have to clean up their language, which I don't necessarily disagree with. I would love for that to happen um, because I'm not a big fan of that. I coach enough youth sports that that's something we need to purge out of sports uh, is the way that people speak to referees. And I am highly critical of referees, but uh, some of that stuff gets bred in from childhood. But at the same time, to be more transparent is, uh, Thats says not to go overly into like politics and government and all that kind of stuff, but if you perceive a lack of transparency that means you start to lose trust and the moment you start to lose trust you get conspiracy theories you get people going off the deep end and then you get things not comparing Stefan Baumgart to a conspiracy theorist but you get people like Stefan Baumgart Jung Klopp and so on losing their shit in post-match interviews because they don't even know exactly what's going on And that, to me, is completely unacceptable. If you want to leave the people that are pumping in money, i.e. the viewers, TV audience, in the dark, okay, fine. I don't get it, but that's your prerogative, I guess. But to obviously have a lack of communication with the coaches in important games is completely unacceptable. And that's not just a a, a Bundesliga, DFB, DFB DFB-Pokal issue. That's in general with how this is being handled in all leagues. And some are even worse than the Bundesliga or the the way that the FBA is doing it. But I completely agree with you, Stefan. There's no excuse to not be more transparent in a situation like that. They don't have to explain every single offside call, but if a match is stopped for a review you just say what it is. Just say why, explain it, and everyone goes, oh, okay. And then that speculation and all the bullshit that follows it just goes away. I mean, so the thing is, um, the, the offside
0: rule, uh I don't know if, if I want to call it complex, but I mean, the, the rule that was applied here and why this goal stood even though Haaland was clearly offside, is that uh, Swansea Ingelsen basically dove for the ball with his outstretched foot. He sort of tipped it, but I mean, I can't really see it on the screen in the the replay, um, whether there was actual contact or not. But uh, according to the referee, he did touch the ball and the referee was pretty sure um, that he did because he said apparently that he, uh, you know, it, it made a sound that's then uh, ruled as a deliberate play and with that deliberate play um, that means Haaland is no longer offside which uh, in my view in this situation is a bit of BS I I still think that this goal should have not stood Um, just from the spirit of the rule I still think that Haaland was offside there and uh, if you just sort of you know, dive for the ball and just slightly poke it deflect it I don't know if that's really deliberate play You know, if you intentionally intentionally pass the ball back to your keeper and the striker was offside and intercepts it, yes, I totally understand that this goal should stand. But uh, in this case, uh, from the spirit of the offside rule, uh, I find it a little bit unfair, to be honest, because if you just dive for the ball and, and somewhat deflect it, that that just makes it far easier. Um and I think there was a similar situation in the Cologne game against Regensburg um, where a similar situation did not stand so it's also very much up to the referee obviously to say what's a deliberate play and what not uh, but yeah this is how the referee ruled and Dortmund then uh did win the game and I think uh, overall deservedly won the game because they were the better team but uh, I would appreciate some consistency and as you said transparency and with that um, I think we can conclude this because otherwise uh, it's it's getting completely out of proportion. But um, the good news for Dortmund is they now are in the uh, quarterfinal of the German Cup. And uh, the other teams that have survived thus far are Werder Bremen, the team that uh, knocked Dortmund out the last two years. VfL Wolfsburg, a team that uh, Dortmund knocked out in the cup final, I think it was in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, then we have Arby Leipzig, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And then, of course, from the second Bundesliga, we have Holstein Kiel and Jan Regensburg. And then from the fourth tier, uh, we have Rot-Weiß Essen, which is the team that's right now battling for promotion to the third tier against Borussia Dortmund's second team. So, Matthias, um, the chances of Dortmund winning the Cup or at least making a deep run in this competition are not too shabby, especially when... uh, you could still draw Kiel, Regensburg or Essen. Now, um, that all being said, um, you know, we've bitched and moaned about Dortmund uh, not killing this game off after 90 minutes or within 90 minutes, rather. Um, if you look at Bayer Leverkusen, it could have gone worse, right? Going out in the cup against the fourth tier side like Essen, uh, even though they're doing pretty well for themselves, pretty more embarrassing. Isn't that right?
1: Oh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, Bayern lost Kiel, Um, Regensburg, of course, beating Köln. Uh, I forget, I mean, Fürth got close, Um, you know, lower tier side Schalke got close against Wolfsburg. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) lower tier sides can, can sometimes get a little unlucky and sometimes a little lucky in the Pokal. I don't, at this stage in the cup, I'm struggling to remember as that the this many non-Bundesliga sides in it. I'm probably wrong. Someone'll let me know, but it's it just seems a lot. And it's not overly surprising that even the teams, for the most part, um, that did advance past lower league sides, uh, didn't do so easily. Uh it was harder. Um Essen, I hope Daltmont don't play Essen. Because the only reason why is because that's a match I would love For a stadium full of fans to experience, because that's obviously one of those old school matchups, Essen against Dortmund, and that deserves to have fans in the stadium, um, which obviously will just not happen this season. Maybe not even this calendar year. I don't know, Uh, but I doubt for this season. Um, So that that would be that, and and they're running away with the Regional Liga West, but it's still it's the fourth tier for crying out loud. And right after that match, like Rudi Völler and all the leadership at Levakuz, like, no, no, Bosch isn't getting fired. Bosch <laughs> isn't getting fired. And I was listening to Rasenfunk and they said that since, um, I don't know if it was since the winter break or in a similar period of time, ever since Leverkusen lost to Bayern, they have gotten as many points as Hertha. So... That's how bad of a run of form. Unfortunately, you know, they only got four points. Unfortunately, three of them were against Dortmund. Yeah, so I just was, there's, was, was there's going to that. say that's like the that most annoying awesome.
0: thing about it is that yeah. after yeah. they beat Dortmund, I think they they went straight back to losing or so. Didn't they lose against Wolfsburg? Um, they, they certainly yes. did draw against Leipzig yes. in the meantime. So, yeah.
1: um, so I mean, but still, everyone is kind of struggling against lower league sides, and I don't know if it's fixture congestion. I don't know what it is. Well, either way, Bayern being going out it. against yes. Holstein
0: Kiel is pretty remarkable, considering they're pretty much the best team in the world or one of the yes. best teams. Yes. And then Absolutely. To, to lose in, in, the, in the way they did against Kiel, I mean, I think it wasn't... On, in the end, it was on penalties, but I, I do want to say that Kiel uh, des- deserved to get the equalizer. And... Um, you know that's that's just uh, pretty cool, and I mean that Leverkusen bow out to uh, Rot-Weiß Essen in 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 extra time, and uh, that was also deservedly so. is is also quite amazing because as you said, it's a it's a fourth tier side, so um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, now, obviously, I look at the time we've already recorded, and uh, I realize we do not have forever to talk about the Freiburg Freiburg match. Uh, though Matthias, that is always a very interesting matchup because every time um, we're sitting here talking about how good Freiburg are and I think right now they are in a spectacular form even though I think they, they did lose uh, the last game against Wolfsburg, a 3-0 loss but otherwise um, they they beat Stuttgart recently they had a draw against Info Freiburg then they lost against Bayern but they select Köln, they, they uh, beat Hoffenheim um, and Hertha and Schalke and Bielefeld and whatnot. So um, I think for a team of, of their caliber being ninth in the Bundesliga with seven wins, six draws and six losses, um, it's, it's a pretty amazing season because the uh, first goal of Freiburg that they usually proclaim is, do not under any circumstances get relegated. And even then, you know, that's almost gets softened by them saying they want to be like in the top 20 or so in in Germany which includes the the first two spots of the second division so they always calculate with the um relegation but uh, this season they're doing fairly well um their best goalscorers scorers are Vincenzo Grifo and of course Niels Petersen with uh, both seven and obviously uh, Roland Salai has five but the good news for Dortmund is the Hungarian uh, is out, and obviously, uh, that's uh, a big blow for them. Uh, and otherwise, uh, yeah, it's obviously a team, as always, the Freiburg cliche goes, which really is a team. Uh, they have really formed a good team spirit. Everyone is fighting for everyone. And if you watch their football, which this season is actually very attractive, I must say, because often they do have success points wise, but uh, it's not that uh, easy on the eyes. But this season, I do enjoy watching Freiburg. Matthias, um, is this the time where uh, Christian Streich finally breaks his Dortmund spell? Because thus far, uh, the Black and Yellows pretty much have been his boogie team.
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of one of those matches where Christian Streich maybe goes in and goes, oh my God, this is it. This is We're going to do it now. We're, we're going to beat <laughs> Dortmund and it's not going to be lucky. We're going to be the better side. We're going to do it. Yes, we're I mean pho- I, I, we're, we're going to check. According our to tests, they've pho- scored
0: twelve set pieces goals, which does not bode well for Dortmund.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's that's not good. Um, I've heard rumors, Stefan, that that's a weakness for Dortmund, mm-hmm. but I may be wrong there. I may be wrong there. So, I mean, obviously, this is going to be a very difficult match for both sides. I mean, this is <laughs> there are two teams here. Um, I don't think this is a trap game for Dortmund or for Freiburg think they're very aware of each other and I expect this actually to be a really good one, a very intense back and forth battle, um, that, uh, I could see Dortmund, <laughs> I could see them win, lose or draw. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but, um, but in all honesty, it's kind of going to be, I feel like it could be one of those open ones. That being said, if Dortmund get an early goal or two, I think Freiburg just fall apart like they have in the past. Yeah, I think like that's not like, ah, to get to Ha one.
0: Ha <laughs> <laughs>
1: ha ha. Yeah, but I don't, I would, I would be shocked if they allow that to happen against Freiburg. Um, but part of it is also Freiburg won't sit back. They won't, there, they, there will be space because when Freiburg have played against Dortmund and sat back, they didn't do well in previous seasons. I remember them like pressing high for like five or 10 minutes and then them sitting pretty deep and it seemed like they were uncomfortable with it and Dalton took them apart. So there will be space there for Dalton to exploit and utilize their strengths. Again, I hate to harp on it. One of my big concerns are the Dalton fullbacks. That is clearly the weak point of Dalton right now. And uh, Christian Streich is a good tactician, he's a very good coach, he's a smart guy, and I would expect him to attack that, play aggressive against Dortmund, disrupt any type of build-up play early on, and try to force turnovers in Dortmund's half, and that has proven to be a successful recipe against Dortmund this season.
0: I'm not entirely sure whether Mats Hummels will play. I mean, uh, it sounded like it would happen today. I mean, he had knee problems and it, it probably was more of a rest than anything else. And I mean, in the in the cup, you should award a player like Mats Hummels a rest. He absolutely needs it. I'm also glad that Guerrero, even though I think he played the extra time against uh, Paderborn, got a bit of a rest as well. And then, uh, yeah, in midfield, uh, I, I expect Delaney to play again uh, and maybe Bellingham alongside him. I don't know what uh, uh, Tessic is drawing up and obviously you absolutely must play uh, Jane Central right now. Um, I don't know if we'll see, we'll see Julian Brandt back uh, in for Gio Reyna because Reyna right now is not in the best form um, and may- maybe we'll even see a switch to a 4-3-3 or something like that due to it. So can play maybe a bit more centrally and then you have like a front free of uh, Haaland, Reus and Sancho something like that I don't know um there are several options maybe Dortmund will also stick with the back 3 especially if Hummels is out maybe uh, um then then we'll have that so um yeah there are certainly a lot of aspects but my my biggest headache really is Dortmund's build up play in in this Uh, game and the positions where they are uh, prone to losing the ball which hurts them Um, and I think Paderborn have shown it quite well and teams before Augsburg because Augsburg didn't really uh, press Dortmund as aggressively as uh, they arguably should have but uh, Freiburg can absolutely do that and they can stress opponents you should uh, keep an eye on Santa Maria because he has their number number I don't know if he plays more of a 6 or an 8, but... uh He's uh, more
1: advanced. He, he's more advanced. He'll even slot more into the striker position at times. He's just that good. Yeah, but
0: he's he's sort of their star player right now. Um, yeah. I think he is uh, the record signing. I think he costs like 15 million or something. And for Freiburg, that's uh, a dimension they have not breached beforehand. And uh, I think he was injured at the beginning, but now he is uh, performing well for Freiburg and he's slotting in well. So keep an eye on him. But the problem is that Freiburg are also very smart, and uh, Dortmund, when they play their pressing, which is you know situ- situational, of course, uh, they know how to play around it. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm not really confident that Dortmund can go to Freiburg with their form that they show right now in Freiburg's form. Um, that this is going to end well for Dortmund. So after I predicted the three-one win for Dortmund, I'm uh, predicting a two-all draw this time because um. I think that Freiburg are absolutely susceptible to the way Dortmund attack. But I also think that Freiburg have what it takes to score at least one or two goals against Dortmund because Dortmund right now are making foolish errors and if they play well they still screw up and if they don't play well, well then uh, they are always bound to concede. It's not the old uh, good teams win on bad days sort of saying for Dortmund right now because if they play mediocre they usually get instantly punished for it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an entertaining match, I'm sure of it. Uh, Matthias, what are you expecting lineup-wise well, by by the Black and Yellows? Uh
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Bellingham and Delaney just because I feel like there's going to be a lot of battling centrally and um, they they could make life hard for Santa Maria. One, one th- thought I have is, um, and I'd be curious to see your opinion on it, what if Chan or Pishek start at right back? I I don't I don't want to see Morey play again. I don't think he's a good football player. I think he's not good as a right back. I don't know if he's good at all. To be <laughs> honest, he can't cross worth a shit. I mean, some of his crosses they just look painful when he tries to kick it. It's like he's trying to over slice the ball every time. He always tries to cut inside. I mean, I know we've been critical of Meunier, but God, Morey is making him look like the world's greatest right back at this point because at least Meunier is a physical presence. His crossing is actually really good uh, with uh, Meunier. I mean, those things come in at pretty good pace. Uh, But Morey is just not a good player. I'll be honest. I don't want to see him play for Dortmund again. I think he needs to be sold. It was a, a fine try. Of a signing from Barcelona, maybe you should take it as a hint when Barcelona has no problem letting a guy go. Maybe he's just not that good. And at this point, in my opinion, he's – I'm going to be very harsh on the young man. But in my opinion, (laughs) he's the worst player for Dortmund, Um, pushing Nico Schultz for that right now. Uh, But it's hard to say with Nico Schultz because he hardly plays. Yeah, But uh, uh... but for someone who plays a lot, Moray is the worst player on the pitch for Dortmund. Period. I never want to see him play again. <laughs> uh, send him wherever you sent Balerdi, because he too was not good enough to play for Dortmund. So um, I would much rather see Emre Can play at right back, which he has played. I would rather see a fellow 150-year-old man in Lukasz Piszczek Play it right back at this point because at least you know positionally he's going to be intelligent. Yes, he can get beat, beaten for pace, but then just ask him to not push up quite so high and you have it taken care of. And instead you create your width on the right side with a bit more of a wing play with underlaps from central positions. It's not rocket science, but just don't play Moray. You play Moray and. Yeah, I'd have a field day, a field day with Moray and Guerrero. Guerrero, at least he was rested. Uh, hopefully, positionally, he'll be a little bit more intelligent in this match and try a little harder than he has in previous matches. But, um, and given that, uh, Freiburg have strength on the wings, my fear that I had going into Augsburg is even higher against Freiburg with the one difference. Uh, I didn't think. Dortmund would score <laughs> three definitely. It wouldn't score against Augsburg. Um I thought they would be better defensively. I know Freiburg won't be that great defensively. So I'm going to go with a Dortmund win. I'm going to I'm going to say 3-2 and it's going to be ins- extraordinarily nervy.
0: <laughs> you know my favorite part about this is that you just pulled it, Stefan. <laughs> That you just said, I'm super interested what you think, and then continues on two minute rant. <laughs> not even the question mark. Well, it just,
1: it's, but still, the question is: I mean, would you consider playing yes. Emre Chan or yes. Lukas Pushek there instead of anybody else you can throw on there? Not called Thomas Mounier, and even when Thomas Mounier play, at least you could think about it.
0: Well, you see, I mean, I've I, I've plenty of times said that fullback is a big freaking headache uh this season and uh Mathieu Morey I think I have to agree with you even though it's almost kinda heartbreaking because he's shown a lot of upside and potential and all these things he liked to throw around but uh uh maybe you were a bit too harsh, maybe he needs a bit more time. I mean he didn't have too many games and he had long injury spells. Then loan him out. And for a 20 year old. Ship him out. Yeah. Um but but I'm with you right now because it is so bad it's just not up to the level at all and it's the the, the problem really is not even the uh, linker play or that he's cutting inside or whatnot that's just uh, the, the play uh, side of play maybe it's what his coaches say maybe it's even playing to his strength because he can he can play combinations in midfield because he has qualities of a midfielder and he has the technique to do it but the problem is it's the basics of a fullback and I understand it's one of the most complex positions in football because you have to sort of uh, function as a centre-back at times and then you have to fun- function like a winger and everything in between, and it's it's highly complex. But the problem is, positionally, he just does not read the game and he leaves the space open that he is tasked to cover. And um, even though I understand that teams from the Bundesliga can also play football... And Oxberg can also play football. Um, the problem is if you're easily getting overrun. If you always keep the channel between uh, you and and your center back open to play through, um, it's just not good enough. And uh, he is, yeah, like I said, easily overrun. the uh, the The positioning and the I think the reading of the game defensively is is a big struggle for him. And uh, on that level, um, it is not good enough. So. I, I agree right now Dortmund don't have too many fullbacks but uh yes Emre can, can play right back and uh maybe he should and uh Lukasz Pruszek, I think didn't play too uh, terribly either. I don't know if he has the pace to play as a as a right back, but uh since everything is in stopgap territory right now with Monier out and uh Michel Zong not doing a good job to replace Hakimi, let's face it, you know, this is sort of the source of this problem we are discussing right now. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> to, to 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 add a little bit more to your rant because it's it's unnerving that uh, Dortmund can't get a good fullback to save their life right now. Even though we do have Rafael Guerrero, who uh, on his day is probably one of the best uh, left backs in the in the world right now. But uh, if you have a fat, fatigue Guerrero, he's not uh, that. So yeah. Um, Matthias, I think that's a good shout Um, otherwise um, it's it's going to be a very nervy game and I hope I don't have to root for this game to end like I was uh, rooting for the uh, Paderborn game to end more than I was rooting for the game to start, Um, that would help uh, that Dortmund at least make it fun along the way Um, and the other problem is obviously um, it's really close and tight at the top of the table and Dortmund absolutely need those three points and uh, in that context uh, having to play extra 30 minutes uh, certainly didn't help um, so yeah I think uh, a 3-2 prediction is a realistic one I think we will see a, a couple of goals so um, yeah anyway time to knock it on the head I don't want to repeat myself and uh, run in circles so Matthias, uh, without any further ado how can people follow you on Z twitter
1: uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Matthias Such.
0: Very well. You can find me at Stefan Witzko. You can find all of us at Yellow Wall Pod on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, do that via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, etc. If you want to contribute financially, then please go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall and at yellowwall.net you can find our written content and everything else we will discuss after the Freiburg match. Until then, uh, I hope everyone stays safe. As always, thank you for listening. Good.